Remember those lights? How they shine so bright, they stop time every night. And you were alive and at home. Remember the sounds? How they got so loud they could drown out a crowd. But you still knew that you weren't alone. Well, the walls started falling. The lock in the door. The lights have gone dark. We don't dance anymore. We don't bask in that light. Now we stay home and dream. Yeah, we traded that light for the light of a screen, for the flick of a finger, a tap on a face. And we say, it'd be nice if we just had a place where the lights were back on and the music was loud and we liked all the faces we saw in the crowd. Well, we'll stay home and dream and the disco will die. And we'll fondly remember those beautiful nights when we were alive, when we were at home, and the lights and the sounds said we're never alone. Hello audience, welcome to episode 007 for Staying at Home podcast and today I have a very special guest, a personal music hero of mine that was the soundtrack of countless road trips and many <laughs> travels I did around the world and this guy released just recently a fantastic new album his name is louis laroche or in real uh, in reality like the french robots gave themselves an english name he's from england gave himself a french name and yeah i'm so happy to have you on this on this small podcast and uh, i'm very very excited for the hour we're gonna spend together and talk about uh, music and how it is a big part of our lives so um, i I love the fact that this is episode 007. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, no, thank you for that intro. It's really nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool that I was a big part of your, um, you know, sort of younger days. Makes me feel old. But um, yeah, we're the same age, by the way. You're just two months <laughs> older than me. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, we have a shared passion, which is called house music or more particular French house. And I remember when I discovered this type of music, I, I would say I probably was a little bit late to the party in 2007 um, with the release of Daft Punk's Alive. Uh-huh. Uh, album that year but that changed everything for me and for some reason like it is with 80s music i cannot let go of listening to that genre yeah, yeah. why do you think french house is so addicting or why is it so capturing that you know even if the hype is over long time ago people still relate to it so much yeah totally and and i guess for me even more so like the I mean, for me, French House is nostalgic because that's what I listened to when growing up. So, you know, that 90s sound and early noughties sound was just so, I guess, just influential on my sound. And when I first started making house music, it sort of naturally sounded French because that's all I was listening to as a kid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Like Even now, 29, I'm still going back to that sound is just so addicting and so I guess it's like the the simplicity of it um a lot of it is obviously very repetitive and it kind of just gets stuck in your head it's like glued in your head those songs yeah. and yeah it's just, it was just such a big part of 
my childhood that yeah it's just what I consider house music really I didn't really listen to much English house music apart from like yeah. the, the big guys like Basement Jacks and Fatboy Slim and you know all those sort of big 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 guys but in terms of yeah. like the the underground electronic scene in the UK it didn't really exist to me it was just more the the, the French side of things so what was the artist that inspired you the most that was so great that you thought oh shit I need to do this myself this is great there's probably three and one would be Daft Punk for obvious reasons <laughs> um, yeah. one would be uh, Michael Jackson and the third maybe uh, probably a a fist fight between Stevie Wonder and Prince. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they're all linked because I feel like, you know, Daft Punk, whether they want to admit it or not, are very sort of influenced by Michael Jackson. I mean, take the last album, for example, like all the, you know, silver jackets and yeah. the, the typeface on the back of the Round of Maxis Memories. You know, it's all like, it's very a nod to Michael Jackson. And likewise with Prince, I guess, they've sampled like, the limb drum a lot and the limb drum was used a lot by Prince and Daft Punk used it as well. And so I think they're all sort of linked and that sort of played a part in my sound as well. So in a way, I feel like I feel like they own that French sound. But technically, I guess that French sound isn't necessarily 100% theirs. Like, you know, it's like a sound that has built upon over a few years they're just the ones that are most strongly sort of associated with it but yeah yeah i mean there's a million other french names out there but yeah i mean naturally i'm gonna be compared to them because <laughs> of the music that i do you know it's sort of yeah. like i always say this like the modern equivalent of when somebody does something 80s and somebody says oh that sounds like stranger things it's like yeah. no no it doesn't it sounds like the <laughs> 80s <laughs> but it's just it's just one of those things where like something gets so strongly associated with that thing that yeah. nothing else will do it has to be that so Yeah. yeah, it's the benchmark basically for everything concerned uh, to that topic. And um, what I, you know, I was one of these Daft Punk super fans that needed to know everything about them and whole Googling on every news or every blog post I could read about them. And Thomas's dad was a disco musician, mm -hmm. which explains a lot about their obsession with the disco era and the funky elements mm -hmm. in their in their music and what a lot of people maybe not know is that uh, at least to me correct me if i'm wrong french house is an homage to that era but oh definitely like a more more modern technical touch to it yeah i mean it, it wouldn't exist without disco and and funk you know it, it's sort of yeah. it's all sampling those records you know it's all disco samples funk samples and and even the ones that don't sample you know like around the world or something like around the world is yeah. essentially just a chic record but yeah. in the 90s so <laughs> made in a bedroom instead of a proper studio <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh that's so great and one of the the things that i didn't know because when i saw your debut single i was one of the people that believed that this is some sort of lost track of thomas mm -hmm. your michael jackson sample of love, love. Yeah, yeah 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 and uh now you know, like over 10 years later, researching and, you know, just refreshing my memory a little bit about uh -huh. that time. How was that for you for being mistaken for Daft Punk or Joe Goddard or all of these yeah. other people? I mean, I mean, the amazing thing is that I was 17 at the time. And so for a 17 year old, that was like absolutely amazing to be not only compared to, you know, some of my heroes and even today, they're still my heroes, but not only that, but just the exposure, like the suddenly I had like different radio stations trying to get in contact and different websites. And I got a, a manager because of it. And I got a booking agent because of it, which, which was great and absolutely amazing. But at the same time, it was a bit like, well, if I wasn't compared to them, would I have got all of this stuff? Probably not. So Yeah. It was like luck. I just felt lucky. I felt very lucky. And that was the aim, really. The aim was to be French house and to be compared to those guys and sit alongside those guys. But never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I would have actually done it. <laughs> yeah. And I even, I heard at the time, like, somebody messaged Busy P and was like, have you heard it? And, <laughs> and he said something like, 
don't know what he said, but it wasn't it wasn't good. <laughs> he said <laughs> he said something like, "Ah, oh, yeah, this sounds like it was done in a bedroom or something like that." Oh, which which is was a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. Like even now, like you know, that was two thousand and eight, and so people yeah. still today say oh yeah love you know it, and for some reason it's it's the standout track it's like the the track that people keep going back to um and for me it was just no thought was put into it it was just i'm 17 i have no idea what i'm doing i've got some music yeah. software i'm gonna take a michael jackson sample and loop it and that's kind of it that's the whole thought process that i put in so yeah for, for people to still be talking about it is like you know, <laughs> it almost feels yeah. like that's not me, that's somebody else, which it still feels like today. You know, it's like Louis LaRoche is, is like Superman and I'm Clark, Clark Kent, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that also shows how basically a lot of this, I don't know why they call it blockhouse these days, but it, it makes kind of sense, but it doesn't really describe the, the type type of music more like the way we all pirated <laughs> definitely uh, <laughs> definitely <laughs> pirated our playlists back then but i think what is so fascinating with this genre is that you don't need more than a bedroom studio and still put out a sound that lasts over over decades i feel like it was a, it was a movement not only for electronic music, but also for like all music. Because you think about what was happening around that same sort of time, like 2006, 7, 8. Yeah, you had like the second wave of the French touch stuff, you know, like Just yeah. Justice and Ed Banger and all of that. But yeah. you also had like digital downloads was suddenly a thing. You know, you had that Niles Barkley record, Crazy, was like the first yeah. number one record that was sold just on digital downloads alone. And like you say, like Bloghouse, everyone's pirating music. Everybody is sharing their favorite song on their blog and being like, oh, check this out and free download. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, this is around the MySpace era and before SoundCloud. So, yeah, yeah it was kind of like the wild west of the Internet for music. Um, but yeah, like you say, because as well, music technology was getting better you know people could download fruity loops or ableton or whatever and suddenly yeah. use it and have all the power of a studio in your laptop for the first sort of time obviously people were doing it before that but in terms of how many people were doing it it was just like this wave of people and i think that diy approach combined with the piracy thing it's yeah. just it's just like captivated era at that time like i say 2006 to maybe 2009 something like that it was like a three years of just the wild west <laughs> yeah and uh, also uh, you mentioned it just now myspace was such a massive thing like that's how we connected back then you open someone's profile and that fa most favorite song started playing and you were paying attention on who are your top friends <laughs> and you know there was this whole strange thing about it how how was being a musician during that time where like web 2.0 was the new thing and i think it was definitely also easier to scale internationally through that how was it from releasing love to doing your first tour yeah so because of myspace that goes back to the management and the booking agent thing so i got them because of myspace so they would they sent me a message and you know said have you got managed management have you got a booking agent and then also from myspace started because of that started the first few remixes that i did so i did a a remix of the phantoms revenge and yeah. that was just done you know sending him a message or he sent me a message about doing a remix so yeah i, I suppose it was pretty in, important and that was like the official website you know i didn't have official website soundcloud didn't exist yet facebook didn't yeah. exist yet so it was just like that was like the home page so i had all my music up there i had my tour dates up there i had photos and obviously your you know your top friends and your comments section and everything so everything was sort of going to there and from just having uh love then i put out uh, the peach ep which was just like a five songs that had a similar sort of sound to love and um, I just put out for free on the internet and was kind of hoping that nobody would notice the samples and, and kind of glad in hindsight that I put it out for free because <laughs> there's no way I would have been able to clear Michael Jackson and like Diana yeah. Ross and people like that. But anyway, I put that out 
And from there, once I got the management, it was like, okay, we have to put a plan in place now about where does this go? Because, you know, I, I just came up with the name Lula Rush. I didn't really put any thought into it. I didn't really think this was going to go anywhere. And suddenly now I'm thinking, okay, we're going to set you up as self-employed and you're going to be, you know, doing this tour and what's your next release and you're going to start a label. And it's like all these questions that I, you know, yeah. I, I didn't know. I was just like, I'm just a kid. <laughs> I was still, at, you know, still at college at the time. And yeah, slowly but surely things start to pick up. And yeah, the remixes got bigger. I remember vividly still being in college and i got to remix basement jacks wow. they sent me the stems and i was figuring it out and one of my tutors actually was a bass player and i said to him would you play bass on it so he played bass and we put that out which is surreal to then think like okay here's my college work i need to do and here's the louis stuff that i need to do and was kind of separating the two and moving further and further away from college so I actually ended up not finishing the course and I decided, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to get a piece of paper at the end of it that says, you can produce music, you're a music producer and, and have a grade on a bit, yeah. bit of paper oh, actually, actually or actually do it. Music. <laughs> exactly. So I just thought, well, you know, I'm doing it. Like I've got this opportunity. This is great. Let's just do it. So I quit the, co yeah. the course and then... Uh, yeah, a few months later in 2009, yeah, then I started like my first tour dates. So I, I think my very first show, uh, I think I was 18 at that point. My very first show that I ever played abroad, I think, was Switzerland. And going on a plane when you're 18 on your own <laughs> to another country. It's the craziest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I often like look back on that time and just, you know, just forget everything. I really do, because it seems like, a million years ago even though it wasn't yeah. really but it, it was just a, a busy time for not really taking a lot in so i would go and play a show somewhere and all i would see is the inside of an airport the inside of a club the inside of a hotel room and then travel back again so i didn't see yeah. that the place so you know every single night was the same i didn't really know what country i was in i was just told you're gonna play here tonight and then tomorrow you're going to play this place and it's exhausting <laughs> and you don't yeah i believe it and, yeah. and you don't really um yeah like i say you don't really take anything in so yeah it was fun it was a fun time but i'm glad i did it but there's two sides to the coin there's the fun side and then there's the not so fun side so. yeah because what i think is about uh, making your creative passion your living. A lot of people, me too, with 14 or 13, actually, I started DJing like on a very low scale level. And my first gig was with 14 in a club where I just, you know, some, some local stuff, nothing big or whatever. My greatest awesome thing is that I got to play a set with Play Paul. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, which is one of my most cherished memories of the time. I mean, that, that, that in itself is a pretty rare feat, you know, <laughs> for, yeah. for play pool to even play a DJ set. <laughs> it's rare in yeah. itself. So yeah, that's, that's yeah, pretty it was crazy. I was, uh, opening for the guy in the very beginning, like, you know, for when people come in and they hang their coats mm -hmm. and start drinking. And then I was playing directly after him. I took over at three in the morning And I played until almost 10 a.m. <laughs> wow. And the only only people in the end were dancing was Paul and my uh, best buddy, Tony, and some <laughs> totally wasted other people. Uh, and no one really wanted to, to go and uh, go home. And, you know, that was for me the craziest thing. And after that, it's like, all right, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it all. <laughs> I did it all. Um Uh, but, you know, I didn't really understand at that point that there was a business to it if you want to actually live from that, you yeah, know, yeah. for just being playing was payment for me enough. Uh -huh. Yeah, It's the same when I then ventured into photography where, you know, I also did all the things that I wanted to do with uh, going to, you know, Nepal and going um, in, in 2016 um, with my uh, best friend Dylan We went with a production company to Iraq to document the war against ISIS in Mosul. Wow. Um, with a good friend of mine, he's a race driver for Aston Martin. And I was in Le Mans uh, documenting the 24 hours. I did all of these things. 
but I never made more money than just I could barely make it. Yeah. Uh, living in my parents' house kind of level, you know, mm-hmm. so, and I had to learn these business skills much, much later. And that's actually hard work and that you still need to put in the effort, even if you don't feel like it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Amy, I I completely relate to that because, yeah, having to go from, okay, this is a fun thing that I'm doing to, okay, now it's a business. Now I need to start thinking like a business. Now I need to start, you know, still being creative and still doing that fun stuff, but taking it seriously and starting to think, you know, about doing the not so good things in order to make money, make a living. And, and I get it. I I get why, um, you know, DJs, especially I'd say more so than bands because bands, you go out there and you, you're with a group of people and you know, although you're playing the same songs every night, they're like your mates, they're your best friends, but with a DJ, nine times out of ten, you're you're traveling on your own. You might have a tour manager, but most most of the time, you're just traveling on your own. And not only can it be like a lonely experience, but also just tiring because, it, especially yeah. if you're playing, you know, several nights in a row, you might get back to the club. I don't know, maybe three in the morning, and then you you go to sleep. You wake up the next day. Perhaps you've got an early flight. You have to travel to the next place. And by the time you get there, it's like the evening, you have something to yeah. eat and then you go to the next club, you know? So it's like, I totally get why, you know, DJs are especially, I think, kind of vulnerable, really, and have that sort of mental health stigma that sort of goes with it, really. And I don't really think it's been researched that much, but if you speak to any DJ that's been doing this a while, maybe five yeah. to 10 years, if not more, then they all have like the same story. They all have similar stories. And yeah, I, I think it affects you. And and I think there's, I kind of take my hat off to people that have been doing it for a long time. And in a lot of cases, I don't know how the hell they do do it <laughs> because, you know, a tour in itself is, is really tiring. So, you know, DJs are in some cases, always on tour and they never come off tour they, you know they're constantly playing and they're yeah. constantly you yeah. know traveling the world which sounds glamorous yeah. but like i say there's that dark Sucks, side man. to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like uh i've i've been like one of my all-time favorite djs is uh definitely laid back luke mm-hmm. you know this guy he's been touring since 98 yeah and he ne- never stopped <laughs> <laughs> And he still comes up with, you know, uh, tracks that he produces. Mm -hmm. And there's this consistent quality to to what Luke is doing, which, you know, um, I'm not the greatest fan of the current state of dance music, but, you know, every every sound for every generation. But this guy, uh, I, I don't know how he makes it because... Obviously, doing a tour for a year or two, you know, and then you can make a break. You mm-hmm. hide for a couple of years in your studio. You recover. You make a new album. Yeah, yeah. But these also like people like Steve Aoki, you know, these these uh, ultra festival type of of DJs. Like, I cannot imagine doing that job longer than like let's say two weeks yeah. at my best. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's a it's a relatively kind of new thing ish i mean like you say someone like Layback luke has been you know pretty much been doing it from the 90s but i'd say like most of the quote-unquote new djs are you know have that mentality of constantly constantly playing all the time new show every single night but then you've got that like older generation who sort of play shows and they might play maybe I don't know, 10 shows in a row. And then you won't hear from them for like two years. And then they come back yeah. again and they've got new songs and they go on tour again. And then they disappear again. And I I kind of see my I kind of put myself in those sort of that mentality. Although I'm not really that, and I still do keep myself busy. I still release music. I'm constantly, you know, thinking about the next thing. But I, I kind of had that old school head on where I, I can only do something for so long. So um yeah. whether that be an album, whether that be a touring, whether that be you know, whatever, I I, I can't do it for too long because it 
takes it out of me, you know? So I have to have a break yeah. and do something else for a while and then come back to what I was doing before. So, but yeah. Which is, which is a great example for what we are going through collectively at the moment. You know, like we are more or less stuck at home, uh, some more than others. And we still have to do home office work, which is like the most dreadful thing like i i my my nine to five is i work in uh, financial technologies mm -hmm. and the great part that i enjoy is about meeting with customers and discussing the projects and you know see how we can find solutions for them and home office was like a two day a week kind of necessary evil mm -hmm. and i find it very challenging to really get that level of excitement that makes yeah. you really great at what you do yeah. over time. And so I can totally relate to what you're saying. Like you need a change of scenery, a change of routines um, to to do that. But you, if, if I read that correct, you worked for three years at your current album. Yeah, yeah. So with that, with the last album, Sleepless Nights, I put it out and usually what I would do is put an album out and I'd go on tour. And... Yeah. It just so happened that like I was I found myself still writing and still wanting to write and I didn't want to stop. Like, you know, I sometimes get writer's block like everyone else in any other creative job. And so and I'm quite bad at dealing with it because yeah, like I I'll just write a load of rubbish for a long time and then suddenly start writing something good again. So I was like, okay, I'm on a roll here. I don't want to stop. So I kept writing and that turned into a year and that turned into two years and that turned into three years. So by the end of like year one, I was like, okay, I've got something here. I've, I'm creating a certain type of sound. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know if it's a single. I don't know if it's an EP. I don't know mm. if it's an album, but there's something here. And then towards like the middle of year two, I sort of had maybe about five demos of songs that I really, really liked. And something that I've always wanted to do is get other people involved. So other singers involved. And my first album I sang on. And so I, I kind of had that itch again because my first album was a singer-songwriter album. My second album was like a production album, really. So it was like a showcase of production. And so now I had that itch again. Okay, I want to do some singer-songwriter stuff again. But I sort of fell out of love with my own voice a bit. So... I wanted to get other people involved. So, but the funny thing was, is that I didn't really know how to approach it. And here in the UK, like most of the creative people live in London and I don't live in London. And so it's sort of like, well, how, how am I going to find people to get involved? And I only knew like a handful of people here in Norwich. So, yeah. um, I was like, let's, let's do it remotely. So I started to contact people that I liked the voice of. So just sending them an email and saying, Hey, you know, you don't know me. I don't know you, but I've got these songs and I like what you do. I've got some ideas. Would you like to, you know, do something together? And nine out of 10 times people, you know, really wanted to, to work with me and, um, and, and do something. So uh, yeah, we started to, to create these songs and yeah, it was done pretty much just over the three year mark so i'm i'm really happy with the with the result and this sort of i guess umbrella of it all is that i was reading a lot of articles about clubs closing here in the uk mm. and there were articles saying that in the space of 10 years we'd lost half of our nightclubs in in 10 wow. years so i and and a lot of those that like you can look at the list online and, and a lot of those are like very famous clubs in the uk that have all closed and yeah. I I'd played some, at some of those clubs and, and I felt, you know, that connection to it. And I thought it was really sad. And, and the fact that, you know, not only did people lose their jobs and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, in terms of a culture, it kind of hurts the culture and, you know, wh whether that, and there was, you know, so many things to blame, you know, a lot of it was housing development being, you know, replacing the, the venue. And so, you know, there's a block of flats or whatever. But in some cases, it was, you know, ticket prices were too high or DJs were asking for too much money to play. Um, yeah. So the venues couldn't, you know, couldn't pay them and, you know, was losing money. And then I guess the other thing is the fact, you know, I don't I think people don't like to admit it, but 
people are going out less. I think this generation, you know, the, the younger generation, like, you know, they don't go out clubbing as much as perhaps we did as kids. And, and I think it is hurting the, the industry a bit. So that was really why I wanted the, the sort of umbrella of the record to be about. And the title track, Lights, when you listen to the lyrics now, it sounds like I'm talking about now. It sounds like I'm talking yeah. about, yeah. Uh, you know, COVID-19. But, I, I, you know, we weren't. We were, we were just talking about, you know, clubs are closing and and that was the whole, the whole thing. The nightlife is dying. Um, but yeah, it just sounds like a coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 um, definitely something that, um, I think the, the closing of, of clubs and bars and, you know, a lot of these things, um, besides the economical thing, I don't know if this, this, uh, theory really m makes sense, but I think it's also a lot has a lot to do with platforms like Spotify. I'm not blaming them individually. Mm -hmm. It's just like the way we consume music has changed so much from, you know, spending days really digging into the blogs and going on, uh, you know, all of these uh, platforms and finding just the perfect tune for, mm -hmm. for the weekend. Yeah. And then, you know, music became so excessively available for so little money i used to spend so much money on buying music on itunes like i have i don't i don't even want to know what i spent back then and i had barely ever any money <laughs> uh, but you know everything i had went towards music yeah. because i liked it so much and what i couldn't find there i got uh, over soundcloud or over over blogs but i had um this might sound really weird like a burnout in in wanting to listen to music anymore after i i've listened to to spotify for a while mm -hmm. yeah because it's just a I, playlist that you subscribe to and and yeah you yeah don't it's get like someone else is choosing the music for you you know you're, you're not you're not going out there and searching for it it's like here's a playlist yeah. full of music you're gonna like something in here <laughs> yeah yeah, and it's funny because they, you know, it was like, yeah, it's not like listening to the radio when someone else picks the music and then you subscribe to a playlist and you have someone else pick the music for you. But also, like, I don't know, for, for me, you, if you listen, if you don't make your own playlists and if you, you don't just... I personally stopped looking into who's this artist, what else do they do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's something that is missing as a whole is music journalism you know like people don't talk about music anymore people don't yeah. write about music and say you know uh give give artists backgrounds and say you know this artist is from here and he grew up here and he's influenced by these people and uh you yeah. know he's a part of this scene from this city and you know he's worked with this person and that person you know they don't do that anymore it's it's like you say it's just a, a playlist and uh that tiny about section that nobody looks at on spotify <laughs> yeah. yeah and also with like listening music instead of like proper speakers we listen them on the airpods which is okay you know as long as you listen to something that's that's great but i just very recently got myself a pair of adam audio monitors mm -hmm. Because I really like to hear high resolution, high quality stuff because it's a way, way more sophisticated experience when you listen to proper mixed yeah, uh, music. Yeah, I, I think it, it's kind of underrated because I think when you speak to most people or if you did a, I don't know, a survey on the general public about how, how they actually yeah. listen to their music, nine times out of ten it's going to be the rubbish headphones that come with their phone that are just yeah. so cheaply made and just, you know, awful. Yeah. Or maybe off a laptop, or if if you're lucky, maybe, you know, like an Alexa or something like that. With all of those people, you know, they're all like lacking, you know, like Alexa, yeah. Alexis, for example, are like, um, most of them are mono. They're not even stereo, they're mono. So when yeah. you listen to a song, half of the song is missing, you know, <laughs> it's all, it's yeah. all not there. You're not listening to a song, how it was meant to be heard. So, yeah. um, and then likewise, obviously laptop speakers have, you know, pretty much got no bass and same with, you know, those tiny phone, um, yeah. headphones, you know, 
But and it's it's not a point of trashing people for not having expensive listening yeah. gear, but it's definitely you experience it on another level when you listen on a proper stereo or hi-fi or good headphones. It's like you know the difference between having a a good mattress and a bad mattress. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, you can sleep on the bad mattress, <laughs> but it's not very yeah. good for you. And it's the same, you know. Yeah, it's always going to sound better if you invest in just a good pair of headphones. You don't even need monitors. Just spend, you know, like $50 or whatever on 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 a pair of headphones and you'll feel so much better than the 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 ones that probably cost like, I don't know, 50 cents to to make, you know, the ones that came with yeah. your phone, but yeah. Yeah, I think um with you know, my, my wife is a big Beatles fan and uh, anyone should listen to the Beatles if you like them <laughs> or not, because we can learn so much about music. And we were going recently, we were going on a drive just to listen to music in the car. You know, when you're stuck at home, mm -hmm. sometimes you want to uh, have a change of scenery, but you obviously you don't want to engage with large crowds. Ergo, you go in the car and drive a little bit. <laughs> and what I realized is how much more they played with left and right audio channels yeah. back then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like all the vocals in the right speaker and all the drums yeah. in the left speaker. <laughs> yes. Why do you think that uh, is not no more a fashionable thing to do these days? I guess because... Like, if you listen to them in the car, then if you're driving and you've got all the drums on your side of the car, it's not enjoyable yeah. because you're missing out on all those other instruments at the other side of the car. Whereas yeah. I, I guess people in the 60s and the 70s, you know, for the most part, they had pretty good sound systems. I think, um, you know, it's slowly got worse over time, but... In the 60s and the 70s, you, you had to buy an amplifier and you had to buy speakers. You know, the, mm. There was no you know, uh, earphones. There was only headphones and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think because of that, because people had better systems and people tend to, at the time, you know, set up their speakers and then sit the other side of the room to listen to them, it's less noticeable. So you don't really, yeah. you know, hear that separation of the instruments as much. Whereas yeah. listen to those mono mixes, uh, you know, through headphones, then they sound terrible because your <laughs> your ears can't process it and they don't know how to figure it out. But I guess for the time, you know, they it was just the limitation of the technology, I guess. So how was it for you to release an album during a pandemic? Because usually the typical thing that happens you go on tour, you release your album, and you promote the music. You can't do that right now. No. So, did you even plan a tour? Or yeah, well, we were starting to, and then it, and then obviously, you know, just had to stop in our tracks. But um, so the album, the album was done, and it was mastered, and it was all ready to go. And I had a release date penciled in for March. Throughout February, you know, I was watching the news like everybody else, and I could see, you know, it was starting to develop and get worse and worse and worse and i you know i did say to myself is this the right time do you know do i release this if i release it now is it gonna completely bomb i just came to the decision and it was a bit of a gamble really that you know everyone's going to be at home you know there was talk of lockdown and so everyone's going to be at home everyone has got you know all the time in the world to to listen to this so i kind of took the gamble really and um i guess the the thing that hurt it the most was that at the time because it was early march and not late march a lot of people had suddenly gone home and hadn't quite figured out how they're going to work from home yet so a lot of offices especially for like pr like music pr and marketing had all closed mm. up they'd all completely closed up and they hadn't quite figured out how to everyone's going to work from home and to get the business going again. And so that was quite frustrating because, you know, I was emailing lots of different people and, you know, getting lots of automated responses back saying, you know, out of office or whatever. Um, so that was frustrating. Other than that, you know, things haven't really been that different for, for an album release. I mean, obviously I can't tour, which is, you know, a shame and, and annoying really especially as like i say with the last album i didn't tour so it's been a while i mean i, I yeah. last year i played a few like handful of 
shows in Asia, but that was just a one-off thing. It wasn't really a tour. So yeah, so it's been a while. You know, I, I'm kind of out of practice and haven't um, DJed in a while. So um, yeah, I mean, I I miss it, and I, but I think I'm in I'm in that lucky portion of people where I do make enough money from royalties that I'm okay. You know, I. Yeah. And I wouldn't ask for people at this time and say, "Hey, look, I'm struggling. Give me money," because I'm not. You know, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. T- I don't want to, you know, ask people for extra money because I didn't have a tour planned. Yeah, we were thinking about doing it, and you know, we started to prep for it, but I didn't have one planned. So yeah, I, I get why other people are, and of course, anyone that did have, you know, um, shows penciled in, and now they've had to reschedule them or outright cancel them. I, I think that's awful, and I, and. And I actually think that, you know, I know a lot of festivals and stuff are moving until next year and a lot of dates are moving until next year. But I actually think that I don't think it's going to mend itself anytime soon. I, I, I kind of think that, I mean, even if we do find, you know, like a, a solution to it, a, you know, um, a way to fix it or, you know, whatever, um, it's it's going to take time, you know, it's probably going to take six months, if not longer. And so those festivals that are in the summer, probably some of them might not even happen. Some of them like next June, next July, I can't see them happening personally. Um, Yeah, because once this is over, people will not immediately run to the biggest festivals and the biggest (laughs) events immediately you know it's gonna be a small slow process until yeah yeah uh everything is reopening again and i I think you know everyone's realizing that whether you're you know a creative person and in the creative industry or not i think people slowly realizing okay maybe this is going to take longer than we thought it was um you know people thought ah this is going to last you know three months and then oh it's going to last six months and then obviously with the vaccine, now it's like, oh, well, it might take six months just to test the vaccine. So it's like, well, yeah. you know, I, I think it's going to be a while. So um, I'm, I'm kind of prepared for that. <laughs> yeah. What is what is your plan B instead of touring right now? Um, well, I'm trying to find other things to sort of be creative, really. So um, already I'm, I'm thinking about the next thing musically and um, that will probably take some time I would imagine but um yeah I'm starting to to write new songs again and uh I, I mean I never stop but you know I'm trying to write towards something now um but other than that um I put a sample pack out yesterday so that's yeah, that, so then. that's something new um you know and, and that's been going really well I've also uh, recorded a podcast as well Cool. that I want to put out. It's going to be called Multitrack Masters. And the idea is basically um, to uh, go through the multitracks of some really popular pop songs, basically. Um, so the first episode is on uh, Got Till It's Gone, the Janet Jackson song with uh, Q-Tip. And um, just going through the song, just talking through the, the story of it, how it was made, mm. but also kind of playing little snippets of the uh the multi-track to talk about how it was made so here's here's the drum stem here's the bass drum stem here's the the uh, rough vocal and here's the finished vocal and you know just talking through like each thing and and i kind of want to do that for you know lots of big songs and yeah I, I i just thought what have i got an interest in obviously it's music production and songwriting let's talk about you know some big songs and and hope hopefully people can relate to it so yeah, I I got super sad when Chili Gonzalez Pop Music Masterclass was just like, I don't know, 10 episodes or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always said to myself, I wish there would be something that does this more than only four minutes. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. four minutes is barely <laughs> the playtime of a song, you know, how can you only talk so short <laughs> yeah, yeah. about this? So this is fantastic news, especially for, you know, people that, you know, want to hear more about their favorite tracks. Or exactly. Maybe they didn't care or it didn't even hated a track, but, you know, knowing what made it so successful and I th- explains I, I, so much. And I think people don't realize with a lot of songs, especially with multi-tracks, there are like unused takes or um, 
a layer that you didn't even know was there you know like in, in this janet song for example there's a whole layer which sounds like the crackling of a vinyl but actually the file is named bacon so it's just it's just crackling <laughs> bacon it's just sizzling bacon for like the whole song it's there the whole length of the song but you'd never know it was there so there's loads of like little secrets like that that nobody would know yeah. existed yeah it's how how with with the layers and and mixing uh circling one more time back to to your album mm -hmm. like i think your new album is awful <laughs> because i can't i can't pick a favorite song <laughs> it's it's annoys me so much i've been listening to this now for since we started writing together on twitter is like oh shit there's a new album uh -huh. and then i listen to this forward and backward mm -hmm. and i have it on repeat and i can't pinpoint my finger on a track that i love more than the other <laughs> which drives me crazy oh, thank you um yeah so it's it's um with the mixing and the mastering and stuff i i did it all myself which is you know um something that i've i've always done but um with this album especially i really like surprised myself because these yeah. are pop songs and i'm not used to writing pop not really i've I, i've dabbled in it before but i wouldn't i wouldn't call myself a pop artist you know i'm an electronic artist so it was the real challenge to 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 write something that is convincing that people could listen to it and go oh yeah i can hear this on the radio or i can hear this sitting alongside this artist so that was sort of the aim really so try to be like as i guess professional i mean that that's a weird word because it's not really professional it's still diy but professional sounding as it can possibly be so if it looks professional if it sounds professional it's professional <laughs> <laughs> how how do you approach when like you have put together all the tracks like how how much work is it after the song is finished like in a way like you have all the vocals and all the instruments and all the loops and everything together uh, how far is that product from the one that you publish after how much work needs to go into a finished quote-unquote finished song to something that you enjoy listening on, on a proper setup yeah that, that's a good question um with most of the songs the early demos are nearly always instrumental so And, and they're usually just maybe a verse and a chorus. So it would just be a very like rough sketch. So uh, here's the chords, here's what the drums will sound like. This is the chorus. And then that's usually when I hit a creative block because then I like to usually come up with a middle eight that sounds different from the rest of the song. And then you go back into the last chorus, which you know, you're familiar with. So I usually take a little bit of time to figure out what the middle eight is going to sound like. And then, then it's like, okay, so what do I do now? Do I send the instrumental to an artist and get them to come up with some sort of top line, you know, for, for the vocals, or do I have a go at it myself? So With a lot of the songs, um, I, I came up with a, a scratch vocal, which is essentially when you sing, but you sing gibberish, you know, you're not actually singing mm. lyrics, you're just, you know, singing to get the melody out. So with a lot of the songs, I had vocal ideas, but I didn't have any lyrics. So I'd do a rough scratch vocal and send that over to the artist as well and say, I have this idea for a vocal, use it if you want. If you don't like it, then, you know, see if you can come up with something yourself. And with a lot of, a lot of the times they did use my guide as, as you know, a guide to come up with lyrics. So that feels special to me because it's, you know, um, another part of the song that I, I helped create, but then they took it and ran with it and made it something completely new and, uh, and their own. Yeah. So, and then once we've got all the vocals done, so, uh, they've re-recorded them and, uh, written all the lyrics and they've done lots of takes and harmonies and ad libs and everything else, then I'll mix those vocals. So, you know, compress them and EQ them and everything else to get them sound good on the, on the, on the top of the song. And then that's that's literally it. There'll be a little bit of tweaking, so may, maybe because um, I mastered them myself, so trying to yeah. trying to get the most out of them to make them sound um, the best. And then that's kind of it, really. I mean, the last song to finish 
was the actual last song on the album what you wanted i think with that song it was slightly longer than it is on the album and so i literally just chopped a few bits out so uh, the last chorus went on a bit longer than it does on the final thing so i chopped it in half um little things like that little tweaks or little final touches and the song always with frank music has the the last chorus has like a little uh synth bell melody that goes over the last chorus and i just added that as a last minute thing you know so it was done in a in a way that it it was probably finished last year august i think and then i made a few tweaks september october time and then yeah sat on it for a while and then released it in march so yeah that's that's awesome i i remember when i you know obviously i was trying to make my own music which you know never went past eight bars because <laughs> i always thought you know i need to be a, a genius and i need to tweak it un, until it died and everything but to really see how you know you said you, for you the the melodies came first sometimes before the texts mm -hmm. and how how it grows and you know how collaboration which i imagine can be a scary thing you know because you give something that you are in a way emotionally connected to definitely that is part of of your core to someone else yeah i mean and they totally totally could butcher this <laughs> you know i mean they're like my baby in a way you know i've created yeah. this and it's like you know um please be kind to it <laughs> you know, don't, don't yeah. ruin it <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think a lot of that is just you know like for example um one of the songs play along uh lucy had what is for the the verse in the song was originally the chorus so she, she had written that melody for the chorus and then i stepped in and said i like it i like what you've done but let's make it the verse and here's an idea for the chorus so it was like a it was still a, a collaboration there was still back and forth and it wasn't like here's the song do something and then send it back to me yeah. it was it was still a um you know a conversation and i like this and can you change this and can you sing that part again and uh okay now i've got some ideas for some ad libs or some harmonies can you sing this you know so yeah i mean it, it's no different really from sitting in a room with someone and, it, and in a way i kind of prefer it because if you're sat in a room with someone there's that pressure of you have to do something then and there and that doesn't always happen you know with a lot of people mm -hmm. you know um you'd rather sit on it and and get the best out of yourself you possibly can over a period of time rather than you know sitting there writing something for the sake of it and then not being happy with what you've done so yeah what what is when it comes to collaboration what is something you learned like you've collaborated with so many people you did so many remixes and you're always wearing great company with uh you know the stuff that you remix but also other people that were on the same sampler what is the main thing that you learned from working with people that you know you maybe not sit in the same studio in the same location i i, I think it is um especially with remixes it's that production that you learn over time so when you get the parts to a song you obviously can hear how they made it so you know here's mm. the bass here's the drums etc over time i think because i've got used to handling those different parts you start it's, it's a great lesson in, in learning how a song is built what makes a song great so really that's just helped massively with with how i write songs and um you know if i look back to when i was 17 and i'm i'm just messing around with samples and love house music and love blog house and everything and yeah. now i look at myself and i can actually you know play instruments and i can actually treat uh instruments in the way that they're supposed to be treated and in the sense of you know knowing what compression does and knowing what an eq does and all that kind of stuff and not to say that i know it all because i don't and i'm i'm still learning you know now and I'll never learn enough, <laughs> but um, but I I'm in a lot better position now than I was when I was 17. So yeah, you just learn, you just it's experience, and like any any other job, um, the longer you do it, hopefully the better you get at it. So 
yeah, just practice, I guess. How, how important is communication when you work with others? Like, especially because and what you do, it's art and it comes from your heart in a way, you know, it comes uh, from a place where, as you said, it's your baby. How how important is communication to really, you know, not annoy your collaborator with like, oh, no, I want that to be done. <laughs> it's like, hey, you asked me for my help. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely... Um, <laughs> a level of compromise you know that has to be that has to be you know I, I can say what i want and they can say what they want but at the end of the day at at a certain point you know um i'm gonna have to agree with them and they're gonna have to agree with me so yeah i i mean yeah communication is pretty pretty important and and uh i guess really it's my job to guide them not necessarily to tell them what to do but more to say mm okay, you could try this and you could do this. And I'm thinking, you know, this idea and this idea, what, what are your ideas? And kind of making it more of a conversation and more of a, I guess, just throwing ideas into the pot, really, you know, rather than do this and do it exactly like I say, it's more, I've got this idea, you do what you want with it, but this is what I think, you know? So yeah. just being open, really, being open and being honest and again i think that's experience to experiences has given me that sort of outlook to know what to do in those sorts of situations so yeah and i think compromises don't always have to be something bad i think they have a, the word compromise has a lot of stigma to it in a, in a negative way and sometimes people just can bring elements to a project or a piece of work that you probably wouldn't have even imagined yeah that this was possible. yeah totally and i mean you know the idea that i have and the idea that they have are going to be completely different you know i yeah. when i especially when i send over an instrumental because their top line that they come up with might be maybe in some cases like a different key or might even you know they'll sing different notes to what i can do or or even my vocal range you know i'll send over ideas and you know i can't really sing you know it's 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 the it's the software that can sing you know by, by the time yeah. i've auto-tuned myself and edited myself you know it's the software that does the work for me but uh, with these singers they can sing and and they know their voice and they know their limitations and they know their range and and everything else so um in 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 a lot of cases the ideas that they have are so much better than mine but in other cases it's giving them the confidence to say your idea is good and you can sing and you can write and those lyrics are great and you know it's just that comfort i guess just comfort in them and and you know not not really holding and and but more like encouragement i guess so yeah yeah i think that's that's uh, very important and one last topic that i quickly want to want to talk about because a lot of us are looking for you know something how maybe to use the time or maybe even just to distract ourselves from every day mm -hmm. what is your advice for someone that says I would like to start with music. What would you recommend? Because it's very easy to go into gear, drop thousands sure. of, uh, of of dollars into like that fancy guitar that your fa favorite musician has. Uh -huh. But once you have it, you figure out, oh no, I can't actually play <laughs> yeah. it. How do you? How, how would you? What would you say to someone who says, "Hey, Brad, I want to start music, but I have no idea how to do that." I would say. Don't don't do that. <laughs> don't buy an expensive guitar. Uh, don't buy an expensive anything. I would maybe, if you're like me and you want to go into music production, or perhaps you're a singer, or perhaps you dabble a little bit in an instrument, but you want to actually record things and you want to actually get things down, then I would just download a demo of you know some some music software, be it Ableton or FL Studio or Cubase or Pro Tools or whatever, just download a demo and play around. Just, just you know, you, you can't really break music software, you know, so just press loads of buttons and see what happens. You kind of learn on the job, you know, I, I've never read a manual on on stuff, you know, like most people, yeah. when you when you buy things, you don't really read the manual, you, know, you just throw it in the bin or whatever. So you just, you know, learn from clicking buttons and, you know, the Internet helps. So you can Google things or you can, uh, you know, go on YouTube tutorial or whatever. But I would say 
what I hear the most when people send me demos, it's they are demos. They they don't sound like a finished product. They sound like mm. I had this idea, I thought it was good. What do you think? And people don't sign demos. So, you know, I've I've got a label and you know, if if someone sent me a demo, I would say, look, I like the idea, it's great, but this doesn't sound like a finished thing. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. It sounds like a demo. So my advice would be spend time on your music. You know, just because something sounds good today doesn't mean it's going to sound good tomorrow. So you kind of have to sit on something for a while. You know, when you feel like it's finished, it's never really finished. Like even a song that I think is finished, I could work on it forever and, you know, and it could never be finished. But when you think it's finished, just sit on it for a while, sit on it for a week, sit on it for a month, and then come back into the session and look on it and hear it with fresh ears. And Mm. something might jump out. You might be like, okay, that snare's too loud, or uh, that bit there is in the wrong key, or it's too trebly, or it's too bassy, or whatever. And and it's only time kind of does that. It's kind of magical, really, because if you... You know, we, we're all guilty of, I think, producers especially, of listening to the same bit over and over and over and over and over and over yeah. again. And and your ears, it kind of tricks your ears into thinking what you're listening to is really, really good. And so if you go to sleep and you wake up the next day, in some cases you go, oh, whoa, this sounds awful. You know, but because you were so <laughs> stuck in that, that loop yeah. forever, it sounds good. So, yeah, I would just say step back. Just step back and give it some time and then... Yeah, if if it still sounds good in a month's time, chances are it probably is good. But yeah, yeah it's time. Time's sort of the magical thing, really, and and really really helps out. So and that's that's fantastic advice because that is not contradicting with don't judge yourself too much when you start working on something. I have the problem that I have. Um, I want the things to be so extremely good because that's the stuff that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. That I start projects or start you know creative things and i don't have the result that i want and then you get upset you you know say i'm not gonna continue working on this but i think with also a little bit distance you can overcome this frustration because over time you're gonna figure out how to make it work yeah definitely and and i i I always say to people as well that like people tend to compare what they're doing to other people or you know um say you've got a hero and you want to know how they got get a certain sound well the only way you're gonna get that sound or even get close to that sound is if you learn the tool so in a, in the case of maybe a synthesizer or or a plugin, learn that like the back of your hand. You know, just practice every day and and you know press this button or twist this knob and see what it does. Mm. And over time, you'll you'll learn it so well that that sound that you're looking for, you'll know what sliders to you know press and what buttons to press in order to get that sound. Whereas if you're yeah. just trying to get that sound and you don't really understand what it is you're doing or how to get that sound you're never going to get there so just you know learn the tool learn the tool that you need to use and if you know it well enough you can pretty much create any sound so yeah that's awesome thank you so much for dedicating this this hour to talk about all the ups and downs of music production and um of the whole workflow around it what music platform what streaming platform do you think helps artists the most how can can people support you and other artists um by by streaming music um well first off thank you for having me um you know it's been a pleasure but um yeah i guess um i guess bandcamp bandcamp is is great because uh uh bandcamp if you buy something off bandcamp it the money goes straight to me which is you know always amazing but um if not, then you know I, I'm not really biased on on any music platform. If you listen to me on YouTube or you listen to me on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever, you know, I'm just sort of grateful of um, of people listening. Really, is you know, for me, it's it's never really been about the money. It's more about um, you know just just creating good music, and if if people like it and support it, then you know I'll, I'll keep doing it. So yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Thank and you. I hope. 
we get to do this again soon uh, at some point i am definitely uh, looking out for your podcast um, i'm gonna link it to the show notes if if by the time it's released and if it releases after i will put it into the show notes <laughs> when your podcast goes on so people can can look into that i'm very excited for that i've binged it up now it better be good <laughs> <laughs> high expectations here and uh, yeah I'm, I'm very excited to see what the future brings i hope to uh got to see one of your live gigs uh in the future uh, i'll, uh, I'll give you free tickets for sure <laughs> i have that on the record now <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah we are um definitely uh hopefully staying in touch and uh All the best for you, for your art, and uh, for your journey in, in this magical world of uh, music production. Thank you. Something